Welcome to Virtuoso. Your story and sound, Shangri-La. Entertaining stories that enhance your well-beingness and well-being. Please welcome your host, Trevor Joran. Aloha! In this episode, I look at stepping outside of your comfort zone later in life with the sleeper hit film, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. I look at exploring new places with the Grammy Award-winning song by Tim Rice and Alan Menken. And I interview my longest friendship, Ryan, and talk about his journey as a music curator and tastemaker. Here's what you can expect in this episode. We'll have a quick mindful moment to bring us together. Today's theme is relationships. At 4 minutes and 45 seconds, you and I will learn about one of the most colorful experiences in cinema, the lighthearted rom-com called The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Next, I'll talk a little about the wine I am sipping this episode, the classic winery that gave the new world confidence, Stag's Leap Wine Cellars. At 11 minutes and 45 seconds, we'll have the sound portion where we'll discover the magic that came from an Arabian tale about a street dweller wooing a princess. Following that, we'll spin the globe and learn about a new location. This time it's the top end of Australia. At 18 minutes, I'll interview Ryan about what he's learned since he started his journey with music and where he thinks the future will bring him. Note, if you only want to listen to the interview for Friends of Ryan, you can play that segment alone by going to the excerpt episode, which features just our conversation. And lastly, we have our concluding segment with the pennies and pounds notes. Enjoy the show! In today's mindful moment, the theme is relationships. So let's breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. As you breathe out, just gently close your eyes. Now don't worry if the mind is thinking, just let the mind ponder and recognize that it likes to wander. Note that it has happened and gently returned. Let's breathe in and out. Having quality relationships may be the very bedrock of life. At least quite possibly the foundation of a well-lived life. When they're at their best, they can be fulfilling, nourishing, and supportive sources. When they're at their worst, they can be messy, frustrating, and complicated. However, towards the latter, remember, we can't change how others act towards us, but we can change how we relate to others. That is within our control. 
rather than becoming a feeling or emotion. Just breathe in, take note, and let go. One more time, let's breathe in. And out. All right, now that we're all together, let's bring the energy up and get the show started. In this story segment, I talk about the film The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. In short summary, in 2011, The Colors of India graced the silver screen courtesy of Fox Searchlight Pictures in The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Directed by John Madden, this budget film, produced by Participant and Blueprint, saw an ensemble cast of the likes of Judy Dench, Bill Nighy, Maggie Smith, and more go through a journey of self-discovery. The plot essentially plays out with a group of British retirees allured into what they believe will be a life of leisure in a grand hotel. Much to their surprise, they arrive and the stately estate is more of a dilapidated shell of its former glory. Still, each with their own innate reasons for immigrant life and enticed by the enthusiastic young manager played by Dev Patel, they stick around. What follows is the magic of the producers pitching to the playwright Ol Parker, just like the 2004 novel These Foolish Days by Deborah McGough, where we see the lives of the elderly pushed far past what one would expect. These characters, completely out of their element, showcase the San Francisco Chronicle Review, put it, a rare reminder from movies that the grand emotions are not only for the young and the middle-aged. Beautiful. So the meaningful message and clever concept behind this film, I love what this film stands for, you know, the themes that echo the good old golden years. Stepping out of your comfort zone, falling in love, trying new things. The producers said that they saw the potential in the book written by Deborah McGock when she wrote about pushing the boundaries of expectations for older people. And I love what the playwright did to force the characters in the script into uncomfortable positions. Could you imagine being settled in your life, having your expectations well-founded, and then coming to a new place that is far below anticipations? And what that would do for discovering a new life and challenging you to let go of what you've held on to for so long. Talk about being a fish out of water. But there's nothing like the challenge to create opportunity for growth. The director said about the characters that he wanted them to have entered a strange world removed from their former reality, cut off from their past, where they have to invent a new life for themselves. So, quite an interesting concept there, inventing a new life for yourself. How does that play out for you? In my opinion, the movie is a masterpiece of beauty. I may be biased, as I spent months in the Indian state of Rajasthan and visited the cities of Jaipur and Udaipur where the filming took place. To me, it brings back great memories and showcases the exquisite exotic through the lens. The Enlightened Expert Excerpt What I particularly enjoyed were the thoughts that the young hotel manager had 
about the script, where Dev Patel, who could relate to elderly through watching his own parents, had said that he was enticed by how vivid these characters are, by their sarcasm, by their wisdom, confessing that he fell in love with the script because every character shines in his or her own different ways, and you believe in each of them. To me, that, as a writer, is something worth shooting for. Congrats, all for making something that an actor truly is touched by. The Brilliant Blemish and Fabulous Flaw It took a while, but as Roberta always tells me, the payoff is in the long run. The film is what one may call a sleeper hit, outperforming expectations long after the fanfare had subsided. With an eventful gross, eventual gross that returned 13 times the investment, it sure made the studios happy. In fact, it's one of the best-performing art films on the roster for Fox Searchlight, reaching over three-quarters of a thousand theaters in less than two months. If you're looking for a heartwarming story that showcases the exquisite exotic, or as Claudia Pug put it from the USA Today, a refreshing, mature fairy tale that goes top-notch ensemble cast, then the Marigold Hotel is something you should put on the queue. In today's culinary corner, I am opening a bottle of Stag's Leap Cabernet. Stag's Leap wine cellars to me is the epitome of class and style. I love what they do. Leilani, the club manager, looked after us while we tasted through one of the most interesting Cabernet collections in the valley. In fact, you could say that this is the winery that put the new world on the map. When their Cabernet bested the best of France in a blind tasting in 1976, the world changed forever. Well, the wine world, that is. In fact, when Roberta and I were at Stag's Leap Wine Cellars one day, we met the one and only reporter, Mr. George Tabor, who broadcasted the world's new victory, spurring on the confidence for many growers and producers around the globe to try their hand at getting into the grape game. History aside, their winemaker Marcus Natoro has taken the best of these small volcanic AVA along the Silverado Trail and created what the winery likes to term an iron fist in a velvet glove. And to me, these wines are harmonious that beg you to muse over their complexities. A lovely production. I am drinking one of their wines from the 2013 Solarius Collection, where they had the clever concept of taking three different vine training techniques, all else remaining relatively the same, and bottling the difference. Fun idea, right? And the wine is jammy, brilliant, suave, and beautiful. It's lovely. In this sound segment, I cover a whole new world. 
In short summary, this Grammy award-winning song is one of my all-time favorites. Originally from the 92 animation of Lion King, it was written by Sir Tim Rice, who's now got a show out on Seaborne Cruises, where I used to work, by the way, and Alan Menken. Tim Rice won the Academy, Golden Globe, and Grammy for Song of the Year. See, most renditions of this song showcase the fabulous polyphony of stacked harmonies between the male and the female. It was originally sung by the voices of the main characters of Aladdin and Jasmine, but now the ballad has dozens of covers, officially coming in at 40 versions in different languages, with the ones from Iceland, Arabia, and India being of particular note. I think the meaningful message here, like lyrically, the song takes us on a journey of discovery and reminds us the adventures of stepping outside of your box for a moment. This song happens in the script where Aladdin convinces the confined Jasmine to jump on the magic carpet so that he can show her the sights and sounds of the world outside her palace. It symbolizes freedom. I think that these lyrics in particular, the enlightened excerpt, capture the joy of travel. Take a listen. And pardon my singing capability, I'm not yet trained. <laughs> at the time of this recording. A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view, no one to tell us no, or where to go, or say we're only dreaming, it's a whole new world. I think the clever concept here in this film is that as Alan Menken would put it, it's about writing songs within the structure of telling a story, so it becomes a platform for diverse songwriting, for a writing process that's broader than just figuring out a song. You're also dealing with always pushing the story forward, with casting the voices, with the orchestration, with the arrangements. And I think this is true for this particular song because, you know, this is the moment in the script where her eyes are opened to what this character can do for her life. It's an opportunity for Aladdin to show Jasmine a whole new world. And I think this is where she truly falls in love with him. And so I think it's a clever concept to wrap that moment of the story into a song like Alan and Tim did. Today, I spun the globe around and landed in Northern Australia, a sparsely populated land also known as the Top End. This territory looks out to the shallow Timor Sea and the Arafura Sea, which separates Australia and Indonesian Papua New Guinea. People first settled this land around the Sahul Shelf, which formed a land bridge between Australia and New Guinea was exposed about 18,000 years ago, but now that land is roughly 100 meters below the sea. This harsh land, which remains in northern Australia, is mostly tropical savannas, and it has been consistently a challenge to live on. And the British attempted to settle it three times, each failing in starvation 
and despair. To this day, most people live along the track, which is a network of single-lane roads that link the barren north and the more lively south territory. And Mother Nature hasn't been so kind either. In fact, on Christmas Day in 1974, Cyclone Tracy destroyed approximately 70% of the infrastructure to the tune of $6.9 billion. Still, there are some reasons for going, including the Ayers Rock and the large domed rock formation of Olgas. These are incredible examples of what Mother Earth can do on the bright side. Over half the land here is owned by the Aboriginals, which collectively speak over 100 languages and dialects. Throughout all of Australia, these people only comprise 3% of the population. The group of many distinct people have evolved over 50,000 years and have a shared, although complex, genetic history. This group of people developed the cylindrical wind instrument, known as the didgeridoo, over 1,500 years ago. This instrument is played by constantly vibrating the lips to produce a drone sound while using special circular breathing techniques, which require taking air in through the nose and expelling it through the instrument. Trained players can sustain notes, therefore, as long as they want, with some recorded plays being over 50 minutes in length. For some people in the North, this instrument is integral to the cultural landscape being part of the spirit beliefs of the people and used for song, dance, marriage, law, and storytelling. Aloha. All right, Ryan, I am so glad to have you on the show today. You know, you're probably my very oldest friend. I mean, our relationship goes back to early high school days, if not even before then. And Throwback. We've stayed in touch ever since, and I really appreciate that. You know, the payoff is in the long run. Good friendship. Yeah, man. So, back to the uh, days at the Institute. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm excited about having you on the podcast because your last four years have been pretty deeply involved with the world of music, and you've been working on some interesting projects called Living Room Dance Floor, and also have some exciting new developments on the horizon. So I think that's all very exciting, and I want to talk about your LRDF experience and you know, what you've learned about what makes good music and the cultures within the genres of hip-hop and electronic music, the perspectives that the artists are sharing, things of that nature. So, you know, as a broad question, what do you think makes good music? I mean, I think it's very subjective. Um, one thing that I've noticed in uh, my four years of Living Room Dance Floor is, you know, I've worked with artists of many different genres, hip hop, all different subgenres of electronic music. So you got like trap, house, uh, electro, there's a number of genres. But I just think that there's no real great answer to what makes good music. I think it's very individual. Um, everyone kind of has their own unique perspective and what certain people like, other people don't like, and that's perfectly okay. So I think that's one thing that I've 
always come to re- that I've come to realize is when I started it, I was saying to myself, oh, there's good music and there's bad music. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's just a matter of who's listening to it. And it's all about the perspective and kind of people's experiences. And that's kind of what determines what's good music and what's not. It's all individual. So I don't think you can broadly say something's bad music and something's good music. It's all an individual decision. That's at least what I've come to come to conclude after four years of uh, kind of being engrossed in the music culture. Interesting. Interesting. So were you ever battling with the fact that your selected genres might be too limited? Oh, yeah. And um, it took a while. It took a couple years, actually, almost the whole four years I've been doing it. Um, But just recently, um, with a new project I'm working on called Anybody, um, that's kind of my my way out of the trap of getting stuck in hip hop or just electronic genres of music is uh, I've, I realized that I like different genres of music. You know, I like indie rock. I like 80s rock, um, some country, not a ton of country. But point is, I like a bunch of different genres and I was kind of feeling limited. So um, it took four years, but now I'm kind of starting to delve out into different ways where I could incorporate some different genres and not feel so boxed in. Interesting. I know you mentioned, you know, off the phone, what anybody is about, but for the audience, that's quite an interesting concept. Can you give us the overview of what you hope to do with that? Yeah. So the anybody project is something that I thought about back in April of this year and kind of jumped right into working on it. So a quick version of what it is, is that I wanted to take out any preconceived notions that people have when they listen to music. So by that, I mean, if there's an artist that you know, for example, um, let's say Kid Cudi, say he's putting out a song and you're a fan of Kid Cudi. Well, you see Kid Cudi's putting out a song and you're going to say, oh, I'm going to listen to that because I like Kid Cudi. Whereas someone else who doesn't like Kid Cudi might say, oh, Kid Cudi's putting out a song. Well, I'm not going to listen to that because I already know what I'm going to expect. So with the Anybody Project, I wanted to eliminate that preconceived notion. And basically what I do is I work with different producers and different vocalists and they make collaboration tracks, but then the identities are kept anonymous from the fans and also from the artists that are working together. So the artists that are working together don't know who they're working with. All they do is hear the beats and hear the voices of who they're working with. And the fans, when I release the project, won't know who's on the project. So it's just going to be released under this name, Anybody, uh, because really anybody can be on the, the, the track or the project. And this way, I hopefully will re- remove those preconceived notions that people have. So this way, they won't know what to expect from the project. And this is a way that I think I can delve out into different genres and get out of the hip hop and just electronic music because I want people to not know what to expect from this project. So I think by keeping people anonymous, it removes the preconceived notions, which can make some more people listen because it's got that element of secrecy and that element of surprise. And it's something that I haven't really seen done. I've seen it done on some different levels, but nothing like this exactly. So I'm kind of excited to to do that. And that's kind of where I'm moving living room dance floor towards because I used to be just strictly like interviews and podcasts and guest mixes. Um, but I wanted to move more into the music releasing side of things, kind of like a label. And um, I'm trying to get more involved with that aspect as well as like learning how to mix and master music as well. So I can add some value to the music creation process as well. Sure. That's exceptionally interesting. I think you're onto something there because it allows you to, you know, see what different artists can 
do when their guard is down. And there's a great oh, yeah. opportunity for creation there. So yeah, let's, there's uh, so chat much about... pressure. It's crazy. <laughs> sure, exactly. So what experience do you think, you know, in the past you've had that if you could turn back time and relive it, what would that look like for you? Um, so this is actually going to be music related as well. Um, back when I was probably a sophomore in college, so I was like 20 or something like that. My brother and I, we went to this music festival called Identity Festival and it was in Camden, New Jersey, I think it was. But I would probably relive that day. One, because we can't have concerts right now because of COVID-19. So really any concert would be awesome to go to. Um, <laughs> sure. But um, this one specifically was was special because there was an artist at the time who we really liked. His name is Steve Aoki. He's a DJ. Um, my music taste has evolved since then. But anyways, then is um, when I, I really liked him. And my brother and I, we went to this festival where there was tons of artists playing. And we literally like camped out in the front row of the stage that he was going to be playing at and like watched all these crappy openers. Well, to us, they were crappy because, again, I talked about there's no such thing as good and bad music. But um, to us, we didn't really enjoy them too much, but we stuck it through. And it was like this crazy thunderstorm halfway through. We didn't like take any bathroom breaks. We didn't go and get food. We literally just stayed front and centers because we wanted to be there when Steve Aoki came out. And like, I'm talking torrential downpour, like our phones were in plastic bags and they still broke because they were like, it was raining that much and they were inside of our pockets and it was nuts. But we ended up staying there the whole time and got front row to the show. And it was the craziest show of my life. I don't even know if I could relive it like physically. Um, Like, I don't know if my body could take it just because of like the dehydration and how warm it was with all the crowd behind you and just like how many people were just like pushing against us and like the banister or the barrier was rocking back and forth. And my brother got caked by Steve Aoki and it was just like this crazy moment. But I think it just, that was one thing that kind of propelled me to go into music and just staying a part of the culture. And that's one experience that I'd really like to relive. Uh, but I'd, if I was to relive it, I'd like to go back to when I was that that old, because like I said, physically, I don't know, or mentally, I think I'm too anxious now to like be front center of a crowd of thousands of people and getting pushed up on for <laughs> for hours so it's uh that's where i'd want to go though <laughs> wow man that brings back some insane ideas of youth and what a <laughs> what a picture you painted I, I mean that sounds like such a wild time but probably at that age quite fun oh yeah it was it was nuts like it was as equal amount of fun as it was just like chaotic and just like, you'll never forget it. Like my brother was on the recap video and it was just awesome. So that was a, I think it's once in a lifetime for a reason. Sure. Sure. What about um, who you are today? Like uh, let's bring it to front and center. What, what types of things are making you happy today? On the personal side, I'm kind of going through some some life changes right now. Just recently got engaged, so that was a big step. That's probably number one on the happy happy list. And then number two, I'm going to be moving from Rhode Island to New York pretty soon. So that's exciting as well because I'm going to be getting a house. So kind of cementing these steps in that, you know, going through a lot of change in 2020, but hopefully it leads to some more consistency down the road. But then on like the music side of things, what I'm excited for what I'm happy about 
is this anybody project that I was talking about. And then also I kind of hinted at it a little earlier, but learning how to mix and master music is both equally intriguing to me as it is frustrating, but I love it um, because you can just be super nitpicky and it's something that I've I've always wanted to be able to feel like I can offer something to musicians like a service or just feel like I'm part of the creating process rather than just like um, putting their finished product out there. So I feel like by learning to mix and master, it's something that I'll feel happy about just because I'll feel like I contributed to the project that's out on Spotify or on Apple Music and I'll learn something along the way and maybe make some money from it. So that's something that I'm excited for as well. Oh, sure. Sure. I love that you want to get in it gritty with the artists and have your hand in the creation puzzle. That's real cool, man. I like that a lot. Uh, Let's talk about some of your, you know, the opposite side of happiness. What have you given up on? What do you feel like, you know, you wish you might have had the chance to either redo or uh, get back in your life? Um, So I think I think one thing that I've given up on, and this kind of relates to my whole venture with living room dance floor and just like music in general is like this idea of, of fame. So I've kind of given up on that idea. Like, I don't think I ever really was like, Oh, I want to be a famous person. But ultimately when I started living room dance, floor, I was like, Oh, the end result is to like become known from this. Um, but I've kind of given up on that and not because like, I don't want, living room dance floor or the anybody project to be successful. But I think it's just like the, the idea behind it instead of just wanting it to be seen by as many people as possible, which would be cool, but that's no longer the ultimate goal. It's more just how many great things can I create and how much dope music can I create with people that I enjoy and that they enjoyed creating with me and that whoever listened to it enjoyed as well. So it's less about how many people are going to enjoy it versus, you know, just the fact that whoever does listen to it enjoys it. So that idea of like fame and notoriety has kind of, uh, I've, I've given up on it. Not that it wouldn't be cool to have, but that used to be like the number, one of the top goals of living room dance floor. Whereas now it's just, let's just create some cool stuff. (laughs) So that's kind of where I'm at with that. I like that. You know, I was just reviewing a, uh, and, essay on positive psychology and Martin Seligman, he's one of the guys, I think he grew up around where we did in Albany, New York. He talks about, and he's one of the founding fathers of positive psychology. And he talks about how some of the keys, if not the number one and number two key in life to happiness, sustained happiness, is A, having a stable and romantic relationship, check mark, Chenley. (laughs) (laughs) and b is making a living from a vocation or calling rather than just a job and so to hear you talk about the way that you want to make music because it is ingrained in your spirit it's like who you are as a person rather than feeling it's a job that's a beautiful beautiful thing for me as your friend to see that you know you got those two pretty much Lockdown. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I felt like, you know, giving up on the, the whole like fame idea was a good thing just because when, when, if that's the number one goal and it's not happening and you're just working and working and working for me on music, like that's what I was doing. You can ultimately feel like a sense of like failure from it. 
So I wanted to get rid of that because every time I'd stop or take a break from working on music, I was, I missed it. And I was always like, ah, like what, what, am I, what, what do I have to do? Like, how do I fill time without music? <laughs> so like, I'd always end up going back to it. So then like recently, it's just like the idea has shifted and just instead of it, if, if music's going to be, you know, part of my life for a while and I want to work on it and I want to work with people on it, you know, I have to have the right mindset towards it as well. So I think just always creating with the sense of, all right, I want to create something cool. I want to create something that I enjoy and I enjoy doing while I'm creating it. I think that's important to keep at the forefront rather than, oh, what's the end result going to be? Like, is this going to be the one that pops off? Is this going to be the one that, you know, makes Living Room Dance Floor like the most famous music platform ever to exist? Like, I had to lose that mentality and just say, let me get back to what I like creating and just create because I like doing it. Like, forget about expectations, forget about, you know, that end result and just enjoy what you're doing when you're doing it. So I think that's been the important thing in that mindset shift. Excellent. I'm so glad that you were able to speak to that because I wonder if other people are going through that same battle with, you know, trying to figure out their purpose and if that's tied to, you know, achieving some sort of notoriety and how to overcome that because it seems dangerous. And, you know, I struggle with that and I'm sure many people struggle with that. Yeah. Anybody who's a creative. Yeah. As a creative, like, yeah, everyone who's doing some sort of creative venture probably struggles with it. And this is like, you could do a whole different interview on this with someone who's probably more qualified to talk about it than I am. But I think a big thing of that, like perceived notoriety that everybody wants, like lies in social media and how some things just like seem to happen overnight for people. And everyone feels like they can attain that as well. And that's not the reality for a lot of people. And I think that can be tough for people to realize. And it's unfortunate that if you, it's easy to let it get to you um, for a lot of people. And it's gotten to be before where like certain people I've worked with have like popped off and I'm like, oh man, like, why isn't that me? But then you just realize it's kind of a toxic mindset to have. And I think a lot of it's kind of rooted in that social media can be as much of a friend as it is a foe. So sometimes you just got to realize that you got to step away from that and not focus so much on what everyone else is doing and just kind of take a break for your own happiness and take a break from being online, take a break from being in social media, take a break from just like being so engulfed in the culture of whatever it is that you do, because it's, it's really easy to get kind of discouraged when you see other people maybe succeeding to levels that you think you should be at. And once you let that seep in, it's kind of like a toxic mindset. So you kind of got to know when to take a step back and take a break from all the noise, I guess, is the short story of that. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. I see that. I think it's just about being able to rest and, you know, step back and have some perspective, but Hey, thank you so much. That was a fabulous conversation. I know it's relatively short, but you offer great insights and I'm really looking forward to your future projects. If people want to know how they can stay in the loop regarding your upcoming work, how can they find you online? Oh, all right. Um, so it's kind of a, anybody is still kind of like top secret. So I don't really even, I have the social media platforms for that made right now, but um, I guess the easiest way would just be um, follow living room dance floor on Instagram. It's just at living room dance floor, just spell out living room and dance floor and you got it. Got it. <laughs> I'm the only one that has Perfect. that name. So you can, sure. you can do that. Um, if anyone had any questions or like wanted to work or you're interested in music, um, you can just email me, uh, which is just 
um, livingroomdancefloor at gmail.com. And those are the two primary ways that you can get a hold of me, um, Instagram or direct email. So uh, Great. stay tuned, stay tuned to that. And I'll drop the information about the anybody project and where you can follow that on living room dance floor when the time is right, but we're still in the works with that. So we got a couple months. Sure. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time today, Ryan. I'm glad that you were able to make it on the show. Thanks, Trevor. Happy to be on the show and excited for you and see where this, uh, this show goes and can't wait to listen to some of the other episodes as well. All right. Great. Thank you. All right. See you later, man. In today's Pennies and Pounds segment, I talk about a muse of mine being disruption. I think that whenever we start something new, we should always strive to create something unique, something innovative, something different. You may wonder how, and I'd like to propose the following, the strategy of the blue ocean. By merging disjunct, also known as different, ideas together which produce something greater than the sum of its parts. It's like synergy, right? Think Cirque du Soleil. Is it a circus? Is it theater? Well, really, it's a little of both. But that has allowed the Canadians to build something that stands apart from the competition and rakes in the cash. In terms of pounds, I'd like to introduce Zazen as a technique to start with on our goal of becoming more still. It's a straightforward and uncomplicated way. Simply stated, the practice consists of observing the breath. Attention focused on the breath redirects your awareness from outside your body to inside it. And when you practice the art of sitting, it is the idea to let all other ideas gently float away without getting involved. Zazen to find the Zen. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please keep an eye out for the next one that is coming out on June 9th. It's going to be a fun episode where we look at Kant, Fantasia, and have a conversation on science. I'm really looking forward to that episode. It's the last episode of the season, so please join me there. If you feel like you may forget, because of course it's quite some distance in the future, I invite you to sign up for my newsletter and I will email you when the time is right. If you love what I'm doing and you want to support me, please go to treversthoughts.com and sign up for my email. Alternatively, you can shoot me a quick message at muse at treversthoughts.com. That's M-U-S-E, like the Greek muses. I'll send you an email back and we can begin our relationship from there. Thanks again. And I look forward to our next show.